Welcome to Preston Minster. Find your home, find your purpose, transform your city. Let's jump into this week's talk. Good stuff. Brilliant. Look, look forward to... Uh, hearing your thoughts after the service. I'm looking forward to preaching this morning. I hope you're looking forward to, to hearing, hearing a preach. Uh, but I'm excited about this morning as we kick off this series. Um, but I might just be running on the adrenaline. I was a bit late in prepping this talk. I must admit that I've written most of this this morning, or at least thought about it. But I've been thinking about this passage, honestly, uh, all, all week, and excited to share it with you. It's just been one of those mad weeks where it's been difficult to find time to sit down at a desk and think about writing a talk in an attitude of prayer and solitude and so on. Of course, you know, there has been prayer and solitude, but it's just been that time, finding that time. It's been a busy one. On Friday, we had Hannah's uh, birthday party as well, and, uh, and that was great fun. That was really great fun. We had a lot of friends around, things like that. It was nice. Hannah got some presents. Hannah's love language is, is gifts. Uh, so, so she was just delighted. I don't know what your love language is, if you've done the love languages. Is everyone, every, everyone familiar with the love languages? There are different ways that we, that we give and receive love. Some people like gifts. It's a really good way to communicate love to some people. Some people appreciate acts of service. You know, when you do a job for someone and they just, they just feel it like here. Some people like quality time. They like to go out for a coffee and just, just talk and just be, be together. Some people like, what are the other ones? Words of affirmation. You know, when you just sort of say, oh, it's amazing what you've done. So, in, so great at doing that. People love that. What's the other one? Touch. Yeah, which is obvious, isn't it? It's just like touch. So it's that one. But Hannah's is definitely gifts, definitely gifts. So she got some good gifts. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, some re relatively normal gifts. I think it was good, actually. She was preaching a couple of weeks ago and mentioned that she's not having sugar, uh, which I think is really good because often gifts, you know, they come that chocolate, don't they? So she didn't get any chocolate. So I think she was really chuffed with that. Pretty normal gift. So bath, bath salts, things like that. Um, I got a friend, though, who recently got a weird gift for a, a birthday. Um, present they they got some money and with that money they bought some fertilizer like big gardener big gardener and with their money their birthday money pretty much all their birthday money they bought like a buttload of of I guess horse manure or something I mean imagine buying poo for your birthday that'd be mental wouldn't it that'd be mental but that's literally what they did big gardeners big into into gardening and uh, I want to draw on the, the, the kind of the essential aspect of fertilizer this, this morning. I want to connect, actually, fertilizer and Lent. I want to tell you how fertilizer is essentially going to turbocharge. It's going to accelerate. It's going to make your, your Lent season one that's more fulfilling, more, more like growth-oriented. And if you think I'm being kind of silly or underhand. I'm not. It's, it's right here in the Bible today. Actually, fertilizer is, is the subject, to some extent, of the passage that we're, we're about to read. This is from uh, Luke chapter 13. We're going to pick up the passage here, and we're going to see how we can kind of, if you like, fertilize our journey through the season of Lent. I was trying to think of like pithy, uh, you know, talk titles for this talk. 
Um, but I won't go into some of the ones that I came up with. But if you've got a good one that could go on the podcast, let me know after this, after this talk. Fertilizing your Lent, all the way through Lent. Um, this is from, John, uh, sorry, from Luke chapter 13, beginning to read from verse 1. This is Jesus talking, imagine Jesus talking, imagine a crowd, you're there, there's tons of people Jesus is is teaching and he says in verse 1 of chapter 13, now there were some present at that time who told Jesus about the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mixed with their sacrifices. Jesus answered, do you think that these Galileans were worse sinners than all the other Galileans because they suffered this way. I tell you, no. But unless you repent, you too will all perish. Or those 18 who died when the tower in Siloam fell on them, do you think they were more guilty than all the others living in Jerusalem? I tell you, no, but unless you repent, you too will perish. We're just going to pause there. We're going to journey on in a moment, but that is such an interesting piece of scripture, isn't it? You, you, could, you could say that Jesus is, is picking up the theme of, of comparison to some extent. Because the disciples who were retelling, they're recanting this story to Jesus, this well-known story, like it was the news of the day that, that Pilate, this Roman ruler, had taken some Galileans, he'd killed them and mixed their blood with the blood of their animal sacrifices. You know, what a degrading, horrible thing to do. And the disciples, Jesus knows it, they're, they're wondering, like, did these people who died, these Galileans, are they like worse than everybody else because they died in this way? And then there's another story about a tower that falls on some of the Galileans as well. And Jesus says, do you think that they were worse sinners because the tower fell on them and they died in this way? And Jesus says categorically, no, no. They are not, but he uses it to teach us. But I think it teaches us about something to do with comparison. And Theodore Roosevelt once famously said that comparison is the thief of joy. The disciples were guilty, you see, of comparing themselves to other people. And I want to say that this morning, I am also guilty of comparing myself with other people. And you may be able to empathize with that as well because we all do it don't we we all put our life alongside somebody else's life and we look at them and we make judgments we either feel superior that we're not in such a perilous or destitute situation or we feel inferior because we want to be where that person is we're all guilty of comparing our lives with other people's lives. Perhaps comparison is one of the things that we could think about giving up this Lent because we see it so much in our society, perhaps now more than ever, because we're aware of everybody else's strengths because that's what people show publicly, whether that's in conversation or on social media. We see that. And we're aware of our own shortcomings, perhaps more so than ever. 
the disciples have a problem with comparison. You and I have a problem with comparison. It's, it's that context that Jesus is, is about to tell a, a story that's, that's going to be helpful for us. It's that context of comparison that Jesus is, is speaking into. And of course, while, while he doesn't draw a comparison between people people die in these horrible deaths and, and, their, and their kind of moral failures. He says there's no correlation there. He does leave us with a warning. He says, repent or you too will perish. And that is quite a weighty thing for us to hear. Did you see that in the passage? It was verse three and five. Jesus at the end of each little story said, repent or you too will perish. Repent or you too will perish. Repentance is one of those very misunderstood Christianese words that is actually very simple and profound to all of our lives. Repentance is simply about turning from going our own way and, and making ourselves the, the king or queen of our lives, turning away from that and turning to God, turning to his way and saying that he is the king of our, of our life. That's literally what repentance is all about, turning away from our way and turning to God's way. And as we journey into to Lent, Perhaps we can do so with an echo of Jesus' words in our ears this morning. We can listen to those words and take heed of Jesus' warning to us to repent lest we too perish. But how do we do that? Is it just theory? Well, I want us to think this morning about how we can do that in two ways. One is weeding and the other is feeding, okay? If we want to repent during Lent, whoa, I'm not gonna go further than repent in Lent. Uh, if we want to repent during Lent, then we need to weed and feed. You know, sometimes if you are a gardener, you get that stuff for your lawn, don't you? You've seen that in B&M or the range or something like that, at a discount price, and you just shuffle it all over your lawn, leave it, it kills the weeds, it feeds the grass. Amazing, it's miraculous. Hands up if you've used feed and weed on your lawn. Not many of you, but some of you have. Some of you have. That's why there's this terrible problem with the gardens in Preston. They're very messy, and I think that could be the point of my talk today. Let's make the gardens in Preston a lot nicer. Feed and weed, people. Feed and weed. Um, so, uh, yeah, it, it will become clear as we journey through the passage that this is important, okay? So, if we want to repent, Jesus says repent or perish. How do we do that? We weed and we feed. Follow me, follow me. Verse 6, Jesus tells them a parable, which is basically a story with a deeper meaning. That's what a parable is. It's a story that is on, you know, the sort of, it's a story Jesus tells, but it has a deeper, more profound meaning. So verse six, Jesus tells this parable. He said, a man had a fig tree growing in his vineyard and he went to look for fruit on it, but didn't find any. So he said to the man who took care of the vineyard, for three years now, I've been coming to look for fruit on this fig tree and I haven't found 
any. Cut it down. Why should it use up the soil? Verse 8. Sir, the man replied, leave it alone for one more year. I'll dig around it and fertilize it. There's the fertilizer. You thought I was going mad. It's fertilizer. I'll fertilize it. If it bears fruit next year, fine. If not, cut it down. Fertilize, feed, and weed. Let's, let's deal with the weeding first. Notice in verse 8, Jesus talks about digging around the roots. Digging around the roots. Remember, this is a story with a deeper meaning. It's an agricultural story on the top level, but really it's about you and me and our hearts. Jesus is talking about our hearts. So what does it look like to dig around the roots of your life this Lent? Lent is a season where we kind of, we remove stuff from our lives that blocks us from Jesus. It's about preparing our hearts for that great celebration of Easter, Easter Sunday, the pinnacle of the Christian year. But what does it look like in Lent and in life for you to remove the soil around the roots, to weed, if you like, the, the weeds out of your Life. The soil is like the condition that affects growth, the conditions that affect growth. What soil are you planted in? What's the environment of growth or lack of growth that you are planted into? John Maxwell is one of my favorite leadership gurus. He's pretty old now, but he is still an absolute beast when it comes to teaching about leadership. And he wrote this book a long time ago. It's still a classic, and I commend it to you. It's brilliant. It's called The 21 Irrefutable Laws of Leadership. That's like a quality name for a book as well, isn't it? It's like 21 Irrefutable. You cannot even disagree with them. So I was like, wow, that's a bold statement. It's a classic book. The 15th law of leadership is the law of environment and the law can be summarized as follows the environment that we find ourselves in determines the growth that we experience in our life or the lack of the environment that we find ourselves in is directly relate, related to the, 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 the growth that we, we experience or the lack of growth thereof. You see, the environment is massive when it comes to growth. Spiritually, as a believer in Jesus, environment is massive. Evaluate your environment. What are you listening to? Who are the people that you hang around with? What are the voices that you're either intentionally or unintentionally listening to? That's why we're so passionate about focus. This isn't just some kind of gathering to get us all away on some big jolly, although it is a really nice jolly. It's a really good time. Yes, it's fun. But really, it's about environment, right? Because for a long weekend, every year, I go to focus with a ton of other people like you and I just hear the voice of God differently. 
The environment is, is different. The environment is one where we're seeking after the things of God with the people of God, those we know and those from across the network that we don't know. That's why we're so passionate about groups because again, it's not just getting people into community. It's not just hanging out. It's about the law of the environment. It's about the soil of your life. It's about digging up around the roots and actually being in a place where you can grow, where you can flourish, where you can thrive. So my question to you this morning as we enter into Lent, the first question is, what are the weeds that need pulling up? Or what is the, the soil that needs digging up around the roots of your life? What environment do you find yourself in? And then secondly, we want to look at feeding ourselves as well. I've said it before, but I'll say it again. I think sometimes as Christians, we can be guilty of just focusing on the weeding and the taking out of stuff in our lives, as if the Christian life is just about being empty of everything. Um, and, 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 and that kind of, we emphasize the, the removal of bad habits and, and bad behaviors and, and, and sinful patterns of, of our lifestyle, perhaps more so than, than being filled and being fed and being nourished. But the two are equally important. If we just remove stuff from our lives, we end up just empty and then other stuff fills your, your life. That's why so many of us experience addictions that we focus on and then perhaps we abstain from them and we see a measure of breakthrough, but then the addiction pops up somewhere else because we've not filled that void, that gap that's left. Does that make sense? I think so often we can do that. We can focus on abstaining from something, pulling out something, removing some type of addiction. And then all of a sudden, you find yourself just in the kitchen at 10 o'clock at night, binge eating like a pack of 12 Cadbury's mini rolls or something like that. Do you know what I mean? We need to weed, yes, but we need to feed as well. Look at the passage again in verse 8. The, the, um, the gardener says, I'll dig around it, I'll take it up, I'll weed it, and I will fertilize it. I will put in some stuff that's gonna help the fig tree produce fruit. What are you putting into your life intentionally? What are you feeding yourself with that allows your walk with Jesus to grow and to develop and to flourish and to be nourished and all of those good things? You see, there's no growth without intentionality. Your life is drifting in a direction based on the environment you are in based on the fertilizer that you are fertilizing your life with, if that, if that makes sense. And it takes intentionality to, to change the trajectory or to have a, have a better relationship with God or whatever it looks like for you. So my question, and I'm gonna, gonna leave us with this really, is what good stuff or what God stuff are you intentionally putting into your life? And my encouragement to us this Lent is to plant ourselves in the word of God. 
At the moment, I feel like a very happy stuck record because I am just wanting to reiterate that to myself and to everyone around all the time that it is the word of God that we need to be planted in. In Psalm 1, it talks about the person who's rooted in the word of God being like someone who's like a tree planted by a stream. And you don't need to be that into gardening and things of agriculture to understand that a tree planted by a stream is a very happy tree. We as believers in Jesus are faced, perhaps more so than ever in our time, so many invading environments, if I can put it like that, so many uh, you know, opportunities where we're, we're hearing voices that are contrary to the word of God. So many situations where actually we are facing pressure and it's difficult to be a follower of Jesus in so many different ways. And the way we stand, the way we stay rooted and the way we produce fruit is to stay rooted in the word of God and filled with the Spirit of God. And it's when we see that combination of rooted in the Word, filled with the Spirit of God, that growth comes. In your personal life, yes, you will see breakthrough, you will see growth, you will find you're able to navigate obstacles and difficulties, even the most difficult ones. But also as a church, corporately, as we root ourselves in the word of God, as we're filled with the spirit of God, we'll see our vision realized. We'll see the re-evangelization of this nation. We'll see the revitalization of the church and church plants as as we send them out. And we'll see the society around us become more like the kingdom of God. When we get in the right environment, And we root ourselves in the word of God and the spirit of God. Filled with the spirit of God. And let's let's take a moment now to intentionally step into being filled with the spirit of God. Should we stand together? I'd love to pray for us. for listening. Follow us on social media. See you next week.